Hello, welcome to the first episode of PCSJ Beyond the Article. My name is Julia Largent, and I'm the managing editor for PCSJ, or the Popular Cultural Studies Journal. In each episode, I will interview an author or authors recently published in our journal. This particular episode was recorded at Midwest Popular Culture Association's annual conference in early October 2020. This episode has been slightly edited for clarity and brevity. At a few points, Carrie Lynn's voice is garbled and we had her say exterminate as a Dalek would. Unfortunately, only those present at the panel experience this. However, the garbled voice remains. You just don't get to hear her say exterminate. We also apologize for Amy Dries' audio quality. She lives in a rural area and her internet is not the strongest, resulting in the occasional audio drop. Also, also, Chris and I were in the same room as Paul Booth while he was chairing a different panel at the virtual conference. You can hear Paul in the background at various points. Sorry. PCSJ is housed under MPCA and is an open source and free journal located on MPCA's website. For more information, go to the website mpcaaca.org and click the Popular Cultural Studies Journal tab on the menu. We received permission from the participants at the Zoom panel to record the panel. Tune into our first real episode where I interview Erica Arvet about her recently published article, The Timeliness of Hamilton, an American Musical, which can be found in Volume 8, Issue 2 in our Independent Scholar Showcase issue. Subscribe to our podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts to stay up to date with our episodes. If you have any questions or would like to connect with PCSJ, check us out on Twitter at the PCSJ. Enjoy the episode. Welcome everyone to this conversation. Um, I am Carrie Lynn Reinhardt. I'm the editor for the Popular Culture Studies Journal. With me is Julia Largent, who is our managing editor, and Christopher Olson, who is our reviews editor. And we, we had this panel last year and we had such a great conversation out of it that we wanted to have another conversation. And largely what we want to do here is to tell you a little bit more about what we do, um, what we're hoping to do, what we're hoping to create and build onto the journal as it currently exists. And then to just like even field ideas, do some brainstorming on what we could do because we want to make this journal serve the community of MPCA and popular culture studies in general as much as possible in various ways, in in whatever way could be best for what the community needs. So we kind of like to have that conversation and, and to get some ideas flowing. So I thought I would start off just with like uh, some basic information regarding the journal. The PCSJ is on its, well, it'd be going into its ninth, ninth year now, I guess, actually. We're coming into volume nine. We started out publishing just once a year. It's a completely online open access journal. So anyone can access it. We just publish as PDFs. You don't have to have a subscription or anything to access. Starting a couple years ago, started putting out more when I took over with volume seven, so not this year, but the year before that, I had us publishing in April and October. And we kind of like having that consistency in publishing as much as we can both times. 
the goal is, of course, to have space for special, special issues. So if there's anyone who has an idea for a collection that they want to have published, that will still have the peer review, that will still have all of that rigor built into it, we can work with that and we can have that space as well. We actually have two special issues coming up in 2021. April will feature the robots and labor in popular culture and October will feature live streaming and uh, on Twitch from the Serious Play Group at University of Wisconsin, Milwaukee. So we're always looking for more. I always have ideas for more. Um, I tend to put them out on Twitter too to see if anyone's interested in them. So we can talk more about that in a little bit. The goal, the philosophy that I have for the journal is that building on what the um, editors before me had done, which of course was the open access and all that, but was also trying to write the articles and the journal then more for a general audience so that it wouldn't just be, you know, high level faculty who were reading it, but and anyone interested in the topic could read and understand the content. So I like that and I wanted to keep it going in a lot of different ways too. And I'm really interested in pushing more into multimedia um, academic presentations of work, more, more types of public um, scholarship and public engagement. So I've been looking more towards like developing a YouTube channel and as Julia said, developing a podcast and having these alternative ways of academics sharing their ideas. We've done that through having different types of things that we would publish in the journal, um, such as in the most recent issue, which is kind of like a, a special issue in itself the, uh, with the independent scholar showcase, is we did a dialogue because so many independent scholars did not have the, the time and the resources to get in a full article for publishing, but they could engage in a dialogue and be able to talk with each other and share their experiences and not just share their experiences with each other, but with all of us. And that seemed to be really interesting. And I like having dialogues and interviews and, and things that are more than just a standard article. So I'm always open for more ideas on that. We do have a YouTube channel with um, the space for PCSJ Presents. So we can talk about different types of videos that we can put up there. Additionally, one of the main philosophies I try to bring in is that it's not just about peer reviewing when it comes to our academic articles. I want us more engaged in what I, what I think we should call peer editing. And by that I mean, I don't want to flat out reject something unless it really, really is not appropriate for us. If it's not about in some way, American popular culture, if it doesn't relate to that at all, yeah, I mean, that's going to be a reject. But what I prefer to do when I get reviews in that suggest, well, this is just not a, this is, needs so much work and, and you should just reject it. I prefer to frame it as, okay, Yes, the reviewers have finished their work on your article and they suggest that it needs major revisions. I prefer the major revisions, minor revisions approach. Because I think 
any article could potentially be publishable. It's just whether or not people are willing to put the work into it to make it of a rigorous academic quality, to make it written so that, I mean, general audience can understand and, and those other items. So I try to work with people and work with the con contributions that we get coming in. And sometimes that can take a while. Sometimes some contributors are gung-ho and they, they get all those revisions in fast. But I prefer the, the model of don't reject, don't make it like this is horrible and why did you write this? This isn't the way I would write it. I don't like that. I'd rather we help each other and figure out ways that our criticism is geared towards helping them construct something better, helping them communicate better, those types of goals. So that's essentially the philosophy that I work um, with as the editor here. And I'm, I'm very fortunate to have a wonderful managing editor who helps me with the, who not helps me, who does the, the handling of the reviewers. I'm very happy to have associate editors who I can call upon if I need uh, to verify whether or not my um, view on an article is correct, if, if it's worth continuing with. I have a wonderful reviews editor who's able to, to bring in all kinds of different types of reviews and not just book reviews. I have a, a graphics editor who creates those wonderful covers and we're able to produce unique things every single time. And I have a, a great cadre of, of copy editors who are willing to, to quickly make sure something is fitting in with our style and that it makes sense what's being written. So I, I think we have a great team of volunteers and we're always, of course, looking for more in terms of people who are willing to review and be on our editorial board or people who want to perhaps help out with the multimedia in some way. So we're here for that. And I would love to have more volunteers. It's, it's great to have volunteers. Um, but I thought before we, we talk more of a, a Q&A, um, I would let first Julia and then Chris say a little bit more about what they do and what they could use help with. So Julia? Hi, every yeah, hi everyone. I'm Julia Largent. Um, as Carrie Lynn said, I'm the managing editor. I am at McPherson College, which is in central Kansas, well, southeastern Kansas. And my role at PCSJ is kind of managing things, hence the name. Um, and so I handle all of our reviewers. I also handle our submissions up until an editorial decision. And so my job on the reviewer side is both soliciting reviewers. I'm kind of the person who communicates with reviewers. So every once in a while we'll send out a, a survey of like, hey, what else, you know, what can we do to be better? What makes your process better as a reviewer? Um, but I'm also handling all of our submissions. And so when you submit an article, it comes uh, directly to me, well, through Google Forms, that is. Um, and then I start the process of going through the paper and then sending out for reviews and then kind of collecting those reviews, reminding myself to review my reviewer or to remind my reviewers because sometimes, you know, life happens. Um, and everyone's been pretty gracious this past summer with COVID happening um, of, you know, just forgetting it and, you know, forgetting to do the review and then 
you know, a quick email and they're like, oh my goodness, yes, I'll get it right away. And so depending on the reviewer, your, your submission can take very little time or it can take months. Um, and it's so hard to know uh, depending on what reviewers they go to and what their lives are like. One thing that I love is that we have this full range. You know, we're not just looking at um, faculty or established scholars that we have this student showcase that we started last year to allow for student publications for both undergrad and, and graduate. Um, so where I need help is I can always take more reviewers. And so I'm going to put into the chat here shortly a link to a Google form that if you are interested, um, we do ask that you have at least a master's, if not higher degree in uh, a field related to pop culture. Um, and uh, it, do, it will ask you to upload your CV. So it has you log into Google. That's why, because it uses Google uh, Drive to actually upload the, upload the file. If you don't have a Google Drive or you'd rather not do it that way, um, please feel free to email me. Um, and I can get your, your information a different way. Um, one thing that I absolutely love about PCSJ is that almost everyone involved with it, I know either personally or you know, through Zoom, I've not met them personally, but they're you know, at the conference this weekend. And, um, and so there's like four of us here, three of us here on site in Minneapolis who are directly involved with it. Um, and I have come in contact with almost everyone else so far already who's involved with our journal. There's four of us. And so it's just great that, you know, it's a journal of people that I know. Um, and because we're so focused within the Midwest PCA, it's a journal that, assuming you continue being involved with the organization, you will get to know everyone on the editorial board, at least the current editorial board, um, moving forward. Um, so that is what I've got. If you have any questions, um, we can get to it in a second, but I'll hand it off to Chris. I'm the reviews editor uh, for PCSJ. I, I, I edit the reviews, the book reviews, and the reviews of other pop culture texts because starting a few editors ago, I think it was Jennifer Dunn who sort of instituted um, reviewing stuff other than just books. Because uh, I remember she asked me to review uh, a film, uh, I think it was the interview at the time, yeah, and I think that was our first movie review. And since then we've tried to get more different types of popular culture because um, while it's great to, you know, have reviews of books about right. so popular much, culture, awesome. um, um, I think it helps to have reviews of popular culture. Uh, and for me, uh, um, <laughs> as the reviews uh, editor, next, one thing that uh, I look for when I'm soliciting reviews or whatever, uh, is I want people to really kind of highlight how these texts, whether it's a movie, whether it's a TV show, whether it's a YouTube video, whatever. Um, I want people to sort of show how these things are, are pedagogically or scholarly useful, like useful to us in our research, useful to us in our teaching, whatever. Um, because I, I know I use a lot of pop culture in my classes. I've taught classes on masculinity. I've taught classes on uh, race and communication. I've taught uh, classes on ethics and in each one I've used pop culture. In the masculinity class, I've you know shown films that might illustrate different aspects of masculinity. I showed Do the Right Thing in my race and communication class. Uh, I, my ethics class was all centered around superheroes and how they can teach us about you know Aristotelian concepts and things like that. So. I really look for reviews that can help sort of 
point people in the direction of things that are going to help them in the classroom or in their own research. And uh, that's true of both books and other pop culture texts. And to sort of facilitate that, I mean, we, I put together a big list of books that I'm interested in seeing reviews of, but it's not like my re the reviews that I'm looking for aren't limited to that. I'm very open to people writing in and saying, hey, I saw this thing and I thought it would be useful to, to write about it. So let's, would you want something like that? And I'm generally pretty receptive to it. So that's basically my role um, at the PCSJ. And um, thankfully I have a great assistant editor who is not here with us today, but um, Sarah Pollock Stanley, she's great uh, in terms of catching the mistakes that I miss when I edit the reviews. So I'm really grateful to, uh, to have her. And the text, uh, Carrie just asked the question, and I was gonna get to that, but um, the, the reviews, the, like the books should be within the last two years or so. Um, I'm a little more open to older uh, texts, like movies and stuff like that, because you can always sort of make those relevant. Like we recently in the, in the latest issue of PCSJ, somebody did a review of the TV show That's So Raven, uh, because it's now streaming on Disney Plus and sort of in the public consciousness again. And um, it, it can be tied into a bunch of different things. Um, so books we, we generally want about within the last two years, but other texts, I mean, if we can, if, if somebody can make a justification for why it should be reviewed now, I'm, I'm usually pretty open to that. So I don't think I have anything else. So um, that's it. <laughs> All right, I also just wanna do a quick shout out to um, Amy Dries, cause I noticed she popped in. She's our lead copy editor. And, and Amy, I wasn't sure if there's anything you'd like to say about the copy editing process and whether or not you'd love to have more volunteers helping with that. If you are an incredibly um, detail-oriented human, please, please come join us. Um, it's a wonderful job to have because you get to be deeply involved with text. Uh, I greatly enjoy uh, going through yeah, one of the first things I do with any text is this text. And um, for my whole, because I get to see what's important right now to people who are writing right now. And I get to try on where maybe um, breakages might occur. Because I think that in our field in particular, um, using contemporary works can often cause a lot of uh, difficulty in a short and long long term of making sure that we're all talking about the same thing. So um, it's done great things for me to get to look at current scholarship and to make sure that that current scholarship can have a life beyond um, the, the few months where all the links are hot. Yeah, and, it, and, and that's like this thing that Chris is talking about too. I mean, we of course, with popular culture, part of that is that idea of pop, of, of being more timely and more relevant to the, the public conversation and consciousness. And it, it's great to see all of that stuff coming in, you know, before it's published, because then you get a chance to maybe have thoughts about it and, and have that type of preview to start thinking more about what's going on, because we do only publish April and October 
and even with that type of fast publishing schedule, I mean, we've had times where I think we would get an article and if it was really, really good right away from the beginning, it could get through a review and just in a couple months go from submission to publication. So, I mean, that's about as fast as you can get in this academic world. But if you're actually involved in the journal, you get to see the stuff first too. So even if you're just a reviewer, you can see the stuff first. So you, you get that kind of like, oh, more immediate access to the new ideas. One of my favorite things about working with a journal is just seeing the vast array of topics that come in. Um, I'm very much steeped in fandom studies and documentary studies. And so a lot of the articles that come in are brand new ideas to me. Um, and I love to see how the, the submissions reflect the pop culture and the time that we're in. And so there's been um, some really interesting articles come in over the summer um, and, you know, following all of, you know, everything happening. So it's one of my favorite things about being involved. I'll echo that. One of the things I love about editing the review section is just being pointed toward so many books that I might never have known about otherwise and and hearing like why they're important and why they're what they're all about basically i know as you know i'm working currently working on my phd i'm heading into to my prelims and then dissertation and just since i've stepped in as editor there are so many books i'm like ooh, that might be useful that might be useful and so that's been uh, a really good perk of this of this position and you know it's great for the readers too because the review section will point you in the direction of those books if you didn't know about them. And in terms of what we accept for um, articles or any other type of contribution, it's, it's basically anything that would qualify as a popular culture as long as it also in some way relates to American popular culture. Because we have had submissions that were published that were more focused on popular culture texts or fandoms outside of the United States, but in some way then those texts and fandoms and industries or whatever aspect they're analyzing has to be able to relate back to American popular culture because we are, of course, the Midwest Popular Culture Association slash American Culture Association. So we kind of still have to keep it grounded here. But then that means you could look at Oh, I think we had one article once looking at an aspect of Chinese fandom and being able then to relate it to the similar type of fandom activities that you see in American fandom on that same type of text. So those types of comparisons can still come in and, and that can be very useful. We just published one that was about the, the African music scene in Nigeria, if I remember correctly, but because it involved American musicians you see that type of ability for going into a transcultural, transnational type of popular culture. And that's fascinating. That stuff is great to have. I know Chris's first article that we published in this journal was essentially on a similar thing, looking at transnational, transcultural type pop culture. So we take anything pop culture related from fashion and music to video games and, um, social media to the more traditional types like film and television. So we're really open to everything as long as it in some way is popular culture that relates to American popular culture. 
And don't be afraid to ask questions. Um, I've gotten, I've fielded questions on Twitter or just by email, like, hey, is this an article that you would be interested in? You know, we're happy to answer those questions. Uh, so don't, don't send us something because you're worried about it. Send us something and then let us kind of help you either get it published with us or direct you to a better journal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've done that a number of times already where someone would submit something and I would think, oh, that's more for a literary studies journal. And I would actually give them the names and suggest it or, or that's more for the, our, our sister journal, Dialogue, the Popular Culture and Pedagogy Journal. And I would send them off on that direction. I mean, I, I think we want to remember that we're supposed to be a community that's there for each other to produce the best work possible to improve our world. And that's kind of the mission statement I have and, and work under when it comes to being the editor. Those are the kind of the big things that I wanted to talk about. So I thought maybe if you all have any questions, we could start addressing those or we could start doing some brainstorming about various things that we're working on. But I wanna start kind of getting more of a, a back and forth going for as long as we need to during the session. I'm Andrew, by the way. Um, and uh, I was wondering, I know you said that in order to be a reviewer, you have to have a master's or higher education um, degree in something related, but I was wondering if there were any sort of qualifications like that necessary for submitting or getting published in it? No. So last year we started, was it only last summer? I think we started a student showcase. Um, and so that includes undergraduate or current graduate students. Um, and when we send out those papers to reviewers, we're sure to tell them that it is a student paper. Um, and so it's a different review process, or at least, you know, thought process when you're reviewing a student paper versus, you know, a tenured faculty member. Um, and so we, that is another one of my favorite things is that we are open to, you know, people of all scholar journey um, and not just those who are tenure track or who have graduated with a PhD or anything. Um, and so if I remember correctly, you're graduated undergrad, correct? Yes. Yes. Um, and so um, we would probably put you um, in a different type of category just because we do ask that people are current students when they submit, um, but there is still a space for you. Um, and so uh, just when you um, submit the article, just make sure to let us know on the form, you know, kind of where you are in your educational journey and we're happy to help in whatever way. So you do not have to be, you don't have to have a master's or PhD to submit and get published. Um, we are trying to help everyone in, and get published. Cool. Awesome. Thanks. Um, Chris, do you have any requirements in, on education in terms of who writes the book reviews and so forth? I, I haven't really thought about a lot of that yet, but I mean, I feel like if it's coming from uh, like a perspective of, you know, how can this be useful in a classroom or how can this be useful in research? Um, I mean, I'd be welcome, I'd, I'd be open to welcoming any education level because I feel like, you know, different people at different education levels are gonna look at these texts differently um, and might might bring to light things that other people would not. So, I mean, I just encourage everybody to send reviews 
and then I, I can like if like you said instead of reject or whatever I would be happy to work with people and be like we need a little bit more of this or we need a little bit more of that um, in this review to make it a little stronger yeah it might actually be interesting to get undergraduate and graduate perspectives on what to use in the classroom because it could be that especially with generational differences being what they are, they may have examples that their teachers have no idea about. Um, Chris, can I ask you a follow-on question for that? Absolutely. So, um, I've been in a few sessions today and it struck me that there might be a use for um, reading guides for Guides for beginners and neither more say that comes to mind because she came up in conversation. So Julius Crusavis book on the abject is a billion years old. Yes, reference time and time again, has offhandedly in ways of, well, of course someone's mentioned Chris Davis you by this point. Do you think that um, maybe a series on what your teachers told you about Chris Davis, but maybe do you, or is that the pedant in me? Sorry, Amy, you, you cut out a little bit towards the end there, but go ahead. I think, I think what she's asking is, could we maybe think about having reading guides that in some way would help students and teachers maybe have other books or other texts to look at to better understand a, a particular theorist or theory or method in popular culture studies? I mean, I, it's not something I had thought about, but I love the idea. I think it's great um, because I, I really feel like part of what the review, like I said, part of what the review section is supposed to do is point people, you know, to books that are going to help them in their research and their, and their teaching. And so I feel like if we did something like that, it would be pointing people in the direction of books that they're gonna to need to know, like young up and coming students or you know, grad students or whatever, pointing them in the direction of, of things that they're gonna to need to know as they go through their academic careers um, in a similar way. So I think that's a great idea. Um, maybe you know, it could be something to do and have it coincide with one of the student showcases or something. It, it could also be something that could help us to challenge canons and to be able to bring in other um, perspectives that maybe academics aren't considering as much. And, and I mean, I'm all about like tearing down the silos and breaking down the walls and all that stuff. So, you know, if we're gonna have something like a reading guide that's going to point people towards canonical text. We could also, you know, start building up our own sort of canon through doing that. And, and I don't know. I think it's a great. I think it's a great idea. Something, something for you and I to talk about. I think. Very cool. Any other questions or, or um, comments right now? So I like the brainstorming. You already got some great ideas coming in. There's one question I have for all of you, and you can use the the text to be able to text chat to be able to answer but i would love to know what type of content you would like to see in special issues but also in the podcast and the youtube channel 
So what do you think would be good topics or good types of content to provide through those particular avenues? And I can say like, when we've talked about the YouTube channel in the past, we've been interested in thinking about not just necessarily um, video presentations of a paper, but even video essays um, or tutorials, like you could, you could have someone take an academic term, one of our jargon, and try to translate it and, and try to explain it. So these little teaching moments, which could also then be used by um, teachers in their classrooms when they have to engage these topics. Um, that's one idea that I've had. Um, as Julia said, she's working on the podcast idea to kind of, and this is something that we've kind of floated around before along with uh, Kit Majeski, this idea of how to help, especially younger scholars, learn how to write and to kind of take some of the mystery away from academic writing and, and from doing scholarship to, to try to help people realize that I mean, anyone can do this. And it's not like we were born being able to do this, that we, we're not special. We just learned how to do it. And so we're trying to help everyone learn and, and to feel that they could do it. So that's one idea we've been talking about for a podcast. And for special issues, like I said, I've got so many different ideas. I've, some of them are up on our website. I would love to do one on popular culture and democracy based on a conversation we had yesterday about the current state of defining popular culture. I'd love to do one on Harry Potter through the queer theory lens. And, and, and taking a look at the Harry Potter texts and fandom um, in that way. So I've got a lot of ideas and I can also talk about the process for how we do special issues if you're interested in that as well. Ooh, Amy says that, I'm, I don't wanna to try to pronounce that word, I'm too tired, As, but there's an um, online site that has a series of definitions for philosophy that we would, that she would like to imitate for definitions in pop culture. Totally thinking that. I mean, think about there's, <laughs> Chris and I have used the Judith Butler explained by cats, I think is what it was. I mean, having those types of ways of using pop cultural texts to explain <sighs> this academic jargon that sometimes is just very hard to understand. And, and, the, and the Judith Butler explained with cats doesn't really explain all that much because it's still, basically impenetrable unless you know what she's actually talking about. Yeah. So we, we, we need to make things penetrable, I guess. I don't know if you want to say it that way, but yeah. So yeah, stuff like that would be great. Any other thoughts? Are, are there certain types of things that you think would, like the reading guides, might be a way to serve our community better? What would you do if you had a magic wand? What would you create? That would serve us better. Leah says more about um, by, uh, people of color. Black indigenous Black. people Black of color. Indigenous, thank you. Horror. Definitely with Jordan Peele's popularity. Yeah. Afrofuturism would be great. Young adult lit. I know we've had people talking about before, like YA literature would be interesting. We did just publish a special issue which was a joint publication with the um, Africology Journal of Pan-African Studies 
on black popular culture. And I would love to do more about that, even more specifically, like what Jordan Peele's been bringing in, um, he would actually be kind of maybe interesting to do a whole focus on, given everything he's built at this point. So yeah, that would be really interesting. And for special issues, I'll put ideas out on our Twitter, um, at the PCSJ. And if I, I ever put out an idea that, you know, you latch onto, feel free to contact me either through the Twitter or through our um, email, which is uh, PCSJ at mpcaaca.org. And um, we can talk through how to do it. Mostly it is just a process of, hey, I'm interested in this idea. This is the, the basic idea of, of what the collection would be. Um, this is a sense of the timeline. And I just then run it by my associate editors. We make sure that it seems like it's going to be a good fit for the journal. And you kind of then are in control. I can help you to send out the call for proposals and all of that. Um, I recommend doing the peer review process within the special issues so everyone who contributes to it would also then review as well. And then I can help with the formatting. Uh, Chris can help if you want um, topic specific reviews for it. But it's kind of like you're editing a collection, you're editing an anthology, and we're just able to help you publish it. And usually much faster than a publishing for an actual print book can do. So that's really the process. And I'm always open to getting ideas. So I just wanted to follow up on that because, you know, I think about the, um, the special issue that we edited or co-edited with a couple of people on pro wrestling and look like using that as a way to sort of legitimize the, the study of professional wrestling uh, in the 21st century and the upcoming serious play special issue that is being um, overseen by myself and some other folks from UW-Milwaukee is all about, you know, sort of legitimating Twitch itself as a, a not just a platform for, for popular culture, which it is, but also as a form of popular culture. So one of the things that these special issues can do is to take some aspect of culture that maybe is being underrepresented or understudied or whatever and using that as a like a like a launching pad to say this is important this is something that needs to be looked at and you just have to make the make the case for why and then it becomes like something that is like a microscope just like focused on this thing yeah and i, I love the fact that we're open access so that Anyone, anyone can get it. I mean, Chris, Chris and I, and, I, and actually Julia and I, we've, we've done, done anthologies that are in print, print. but those things, things can cost hundred plus dollars. dollars. I think this, this one that we just have coming out is, is quite high. <laughs> and it's, and it's, it can, it can be, be hard then to get it in the hands of people who, one, maybe really need it for the work they're doing, but two, are just really interested in the topic. It's general press, Stuff. stuff. I mean, the general, general audience, audience doesn't, doesn't buy academic, academic books. books. Not, Not feasible. feasible. 
but something where it goes online means, hey, yeah, anyone can then access it. It's free. All they need to have is the link. They can get the PDF, and they're good to go. So I, 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 I really like that, especially for students and independent scholars who don't have the, the resources to get an actual academic publication. And I like the fact that we can offer that for people. And special issues are a way to create a collection that, as Chris said, could legitimize other people's work and bring people together around that. I am serious, though. I put in the, the chat about a Georgian Peel studies. be fantastic. I would love that right now. I think it would be really cool. Yeah, there's so much to unpack. I mean, we're watching Lovecraft Country. Wow, there's so much to unpack now with that. Yeah, it's, it's Peel and J.J. Abrams, so I mean, love Peel, hate J.J., so. Yeah, yeah. What are some other thoughts? You're welcome to even either speak up or use the chat. I had an idea once for a special issue that would look at the one-hour drama of on cable, like all those shows that came out in the early 2000s, like Leverage and Librarian and stuff like that. Not a lot of people write about that. I would Things that people don't write about. Even if it's older pop culture. Like, we're, I had an idea where we're looking at, what did I call it? Transvisual um, shared universes. Uh, so we're looking at like the shared universe concepts and television studies and going way back in time for that. Something that goes way back in time and looks at, oh God, movie serials or, or looks at old popular culture texts through more modern theoretical lenses. That'd be fantastic too. Interesting to, to look at old movie serials in relation to like current shared universe transmedia franchises or something, especially like the Marvel universe, because in a, in a sense, that whole universe is like a serial, but I, I, like feature length serials. Yeah, I mean, thinking about too, looking at the movie serials in relationship to a web series given how short a movie serial tended to be and how you see that same type of structure in web series, at least in the earlier web series, I think that would be great too. I mean, there's, there's so many different things that we could do and it's, it's both wonderful and frustrating that we can't get it all done. But I mean, I, I think I'm just trying to say that I'm open to a lot of different things because I find a lot of different things interesting. And I want to make certain that the journal stays like that. I don't want to turn it into, well, this is what Carrie likes, and this is what Carrie's going to publish, as I know some editors do in places. I want to publish what's good, what pushes us forward, what goes into areas that maybe others aren't, that boldly goes where no one has come before, I guess. Yeah, well, I'm going to bring up Star Trek. Okay, come on. So, yeah, I, I think it'd be great to, to just cover a lot of different things. Well, and, and to follow up on that, pop culture, like culture itself has become so fragmented. And popular culture is no different. And, you know, there's a lot of 
theory that kind of looks at, is there such a thing as popular culture? Because it's all just culture and all that sort of stuff. But because it's so fragmented and because there's so much stuff out there, like not everybody's going to know everything. And so it's good to have people sort of shining that light on, on aspects of, of culture that, you know, we, we might not be, cons we might not like understand as popular culture because then it helps point people in, in the direction of like new areas that they could apply whatever they're doing. And it might be, you know, relevant to what's going on over here. Yeah, that's kind of like the stuff we were talking about yesterday in the um, after Ray Brown um, redefining popular culture panel, because we were thinking about, well, what truly defines popular culture? Um, at what point do you have a critical mass, maybe, to consider pop culture? Is, is, is it the number of people? Is it the quantity? that determines something as a popular culture, or is it the quality, the, the way in which the texts and the, the traditions and whatnot plays a part in someone's life? Is that how we can define popular culture? Is, is fandom an aspect of popular culture, or is it a replacement for popular culture? What about subcultures? Do we have subcultures anymore? Do we have a mainstream culture anymore? Do we have elite culture versus low culture anymore? I mean, how is all of that happening? And I would love to do a special issue or, or a dialogue or something on that, something where we could publish it in the journal or record it via Zoom and put it up on YouTube. I think these would be great conversations to have. And it's that kind of, of pushing forward that I think the journal can really be a good place for because we are open access, anyone can get our material, which means if we want to start a revolution, this is a good place to do so. And I'm all about starting revolutions. We actually have two issues that just came out within the past month, so I'm not at all tired. I have a question now, though. How do we define popular culture? Like what, 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 I ask what my students that every semester. They never can. Well, that's, I mean, okay, but how do we, as the people who oversee this journal, how do we define popular culture? You know, just as Stuart once said, I don't know how to define it, but I know it when I see it. I know he was referring to something completely different, mm -hmm. uh, but that's kind of how I come at popular culture. I can point to something and say this is or this is not, but I do have a hard time putting into exact words what pop culture is um and ray brown has i'm gonna butcher the quote um but it's on the lines of you know a fish out of water doesn't know it's out of water until it breathes and pop culture is that cultural air that we and we breathe on a daily basis he says it much more eloquently um, than i could uh but it's kind of that it's the culture that is frequently deemed, you know, lowbrow and low class. And a lot of people don't think that there's any reason to study it. And Whedon has a great quote in, a, in, a, in an at oh my goodness, in an Atlantic article, that was a hard phrase, um, talking about Buffy of, 
you know, 20 years later, it still has an impact. So why wouldn't we want to study something that has an impact on us? So that's my daily justification for studying pop culture and why it's important. And, you know, we can't go a day right now without referencing pop culture, or at least a lot of us can't. It's how we're getting through a lot of COVID-19 and all of 2020 in general and current political atmosphere. And so that's, it's that pop that cultural air that we breathe to go back to Ray Brown. That's my, that's my, my take on it. Well, it's interesting because I, and I've been trying to find it, but I'm not having any luck, but there was an article that came out recently through a mainstream press outlet, uh, which was all about this question of like, is popular culture still a thing, you know, or has it just fragmented into, you know, just culture? and everybody's just experiencing culture from their own perspective and all this stuff. Um, but I also think about, you know, like what, what you were saying with uh, Buffy, um, it kind of is the same thing with professional wrestling. And, and a lot of people have made this observation, but the, the current person occupying the White House is a WWE Hall of Famer. Uh, he is in their Hall of Fame and our politics are being shaped by professional wrestling, which, you know, on the one hand is, I, I always tell people like professional wrestling is kind of the stupidest form of entertainment, but if you can get on its wavelength, it's amazing, but it's really shaping the discourse. It's shaping, you know, the way that we're thinking about things because this idea of kayfabe, what is real, what is not. I mean, you look at like just recently uh, with Trump's COVID diagnosis, there are people who are, you know, saying, is it real? Is it not? We don't know because it's blurring those lines and looking at it through this lens of like professional wrestling and kayfabe and stuff is a way to try to understand what's going on in the world. And to me, that suggests that this stuff is important. Just one of the many reasons why it's important. And even if it is fragmented and we don't know what popular culture is and whatever, there's, a, there's probably a group that loves it. You know, and, and therefore it is kind of important to study because, you know, what this group likes, it might be relevant to what this group likes or it might apply to what that group likes or whatever. And it helps us understand the world in a way that maybe we didn't before. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I have a background in, in psychology as well as communication. So I kind, of, I kind of approach the world through that lens. And the way I see popular culture is if you start with the human being as the individual, the human being is a sense-making, meaning-making animal. We are constantly trying to make sense of the world around us as well as ourselves. And we have a lot of different tools for doing so. We have our relationships, we have our senses, and we have these social and cultural sources of meaning that help us to make sense of things. And popular culture is an aspect of the cultural locations and sources that we have for meaning. It's the type that, it's the source that isn't associated with being, like Julia said, highbrow, high class. It's, it hasn't been deemed as good or appropriate by the powers that be, by the, the wealthier or the elite within our society and culture. Although that seems to be changing in some way because you do have now the elites essentially grew up 
as fans steeped in pop culture. So now they are, you know, at that position where they are creating it. And of course you had the history of what had become pop culture becoming legitimized and appropriated as high culture. So there's all that. But it's the sense that it's the culture that we're steeped in on our free time. If, if we think about it as that lower class, working class, traditionally we, and I'll, I'll call myself in part of that class, we haven't had that leisure time. That leisure time was always really important to us because we were always focused on working to survive and to live. But that leisure time can provide us with a lot of the meaning that we need to make sense of our lives, to make sense of our world, and to make it all matter in some way. So that folk culture, that popular culture, that leisure culture, whatever you want to call it, it's giving us the tools to survive all of the other aspects of our lives. Just like a religion can give us those tools, or our family can give us those tools. A popular culture can give us the tools to help us live, survive, and thrive. And I think popular culture is fascinating for that, that purpose. Whether or not it's high class or, or you know, whether or not it's controlled by Hollywood or any of those things, those are big questions. And I, and I would love for us to wrestle with it more. But for me, popular culture is important because it helps us make sense of life. It's the number 42, I guess, in that regard. It's the meaning of life in some regards. So that's why we're here. That's why we're working on this journal. We're trying to keep the journal not just as it has been, but always looking for new ways to expand it, to reach more people, recognizing how important popular culture is to everyone's life, whatever type of popular culture it is that they're engaged in. So anything else that we want to talk about before we wrap things up? Can I just add one little thing to the definition of pop culture? Um, so on one end of my life, I, um, I see my 95 year old grandmother who lives with my, in their 70s parents on a regular basis. And I participate in her consumption of popular culture when I am with her. And on the other end, I have a 14 year old daughter who's my youngest and participates And one of the things that fascinates me is how many popular and how many cultures you have to negotiate over a lifetime to have those connections across the way. Um, my eldest son uh, reads and writes Japanese because that's where his pop culture lay for him. <laughs> um, my grandmother, uh, you better be conversant in bluegrass. And because of that uh, diversity of popular and culture, even just in my intimate circle, I find it most fascinating for all the places where we don't connect and the few that we do. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and it's it's also similar to like like um, fandom as well. The sense that we have all these different fandoms, like at any point in time, but of course across the entire span of our life, and those fandoms allow us to connect with some people and to disconnect with other people. And I think you you also made me think of this idea from a communication perspective about how the popular culture can give us the symbols that we need to relate and to connect, so that we we don't just have to make sense of life alone and we don't just have to exist alone we can connect with others around us and especially in a time like 2020 where you know social distancing physical distance distancing is is, is a requirement being able to have symbols like even on our masks i mean i have a mask that is the Joker from the Batman the animated series, I have Star Trek, I have Back to the Future. I'm able to, through those symbols, connect with people who recognize them. I can't possibly connect with them any other way right now, but we have that. And that popular culture then means that we can, you know, have that glue that holds us together. Now, whether or not whether or not it's doing that as well as it did in the past, or if we have too many fractures and too many different pop cultures going on right now, if that's a problem, I don't know. And it would be great if we did have more research that looked at how you can have a lot of these different pop cultures at once and how you do negotiate them. Because I think that would be, it's, it's kind of like code switching almost, which would be fascinating to look at. Yeah, I also just want to add to that point um, about the importance of pop culture. Uh, the paper I'm presenting tomorrow is about a very bygone sort of era of pop culture. It's about a John Ford Western movie from the 1950s, um, The Searchers, um, which is, um, you know, I don't think a lot of uh, modern casual moviegoers have seen the searchers a lot of them probably haven't seen a lot of john ford westerns but as i will open my discussion tomorrow there was a time in american cinema where one in every five movies was a western and i think people who study the genre can tell that this genre was just huge for developing a certain a certain idea of what american history and what american culture was so uh, I think that um, it's very important, you know, for that alone to study this and try to make further sense of it. But also we realize now looking back on that genre and reasons why it's not as popular today is that that it was riddled with a lot of problems in its representation of, um, of reality. And maybe it wasn't trying to represent reality. It was always trying to rep more romanticize history and culture. Um, but still many audiences still have an impact of it and it gives them an idea of what it means to be American and uh, what their identity is. So um, because it's impacting so many people and we see that there are very differences, very stark differences between reality and representation, uh, there is always gonna be a necessity for uh, thinking critically and analyzing the uh, popular culture all around us, because otherwise it sort of becomes this uh, sneaky uh, 
hegemonic way of influencing things more than just, you know, a fictional film or book or music or whatever it may be. And, and coming again from like, like um, media studies and communication, where you talk about things like cultivation theory and how you can also see it in the anthropology. They talk about acculturation and culturation. There's that socialization, how all of these sources of information are out there. But if they're not challenged and the representation is consistent, that becomes reality to people. And I just presented on, on QAnon. They have a particular view of reality now. That's not at all correct, but it's their reality now. And I think that's important to remember the rules in which popular culture, the texts, the fandom, the industries, all of that have to play in the creation of reality. Because yeah, there is objective physical reality. But then and we layer on top of that all of the subjective reality. Popular culture has a huge role in that layering. Also, you're speaking Chris's language. He loves looking at Westerns and mythologizing. Cool. Thank you. My, uh, my mother's only sibling is developmentally disabled. And my grandparents founded a school system for the developmentally disabled in Ohio. And uh, one of the one of the uh, speeches I get to give sometimes is about how the first school for the developmentally disabled in Ohio is based on gun smoke, because the initial six kids, their popular culture was based in 1950s, late 50s, early 60s television. And all of them understood gun smoke and they used it as a way of improving their speech. So we have a whole generation of developmentally disabled adults who will call you Haas now. Oh, that's fascinating. Also makes me wonder about how much of that creeped into pro wrestling fandom calling big guys Hosses. <laughs> Yeah, I, I can tell you there was a lot of overlap um, coming into this. Uh, they were teenagers when I was born. So um, sharing their media for most of my childhood, uh, yeah, I would say that pro wrestling and Westerns were very popular in that particular crowd. Yeah, you look at, um, there's like the infamous during uh, Ronald Reagan's campaign in the 1980s, he stopped at the home place of, uh, of John Wayne and gave a whole speech about how John Wayne is the essence of what America is. And obviously him being an actor himself, appearing in Westerns and then becoming the president is sort of controlling this uh, cowboy aesthetic. Um, and I wonder if you could, just is that something that you all were Kind of has me like wanting to put together a special issue on Westerns or something, uh, looking at how they still are relevant in the 21st century. Was that something that you were all working? Especially if you also brought in the transcultural war too. I think that'd be fantastic. What what does the Western say about American identity in the 21st century? Okay, well, um, I think this is a great conversation. I'm very glad to have had it. I think there's some great ideas coming in. Hear more from you if you ever need to reach out to us. Um, you can find us, like I said, on Twitter, on the website. There's email addresses on the website to contact 
any of us. And like I said, we're always open to, to trying new things because you never know if something's going to work until you try it. No matter what Yoda says, you do try. You don't not not try. I have no idea how that goes now. So thank you all for, for being here. And we'll uh, see you around the virtual con.